0: Welcome to Fill to Flourish with Luke and Lauren,
1: where emotional health takes a stage and your story matters. Welcome back to all of our listeners. Uh, We are back for another episode, the final episode of our recent series on race. And this one is going to be a more personal episode of talking about our own experience of processing our own racism and whiteness and white privilege. And we also have a guest, a friend of ours that has been so kind of her to join us, um, late in her night, early in our morning, (laughs) we found a time to connect. So Mariah, welcome to the podcast. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself?
2: Thanks so much, Luke and Lauren. I'm so glad to be here with you guys tonight. I am currently located in the Dominican Republic, uh, it is hot and humid here and the power was out earlier. So hopefully it doesn't go out again. Um, I live here with my husband. Um, he and I met while I was doing a, a, I think it was six months of volunteering in a school down here. He is originally from Haiti, um, but he moved over here when he was six and grew up in the Dominican Republic. So he is Haitian, but with a Dominican culture background and then interacted with so many Americans that he kind of has Haitian, Dominican, and American culture all wrapped up inside of him. Um, We are waiting currently for his visa to come through. So the end goal is for us to um, eventually move into the States as a family while well, keeping our ties down here. We have um, a daughter, she is one years old and she is marvelous. We are currently not doing anything crazy down here. He finished studying in medical school. I am a registered nurse, but not currently practicing. I actually give class um, Spanish class in the virtual school that's located in Georgia. Uh, that's very different from what I thought I would ever do, but it's what God provided for me. So um, we are thankful for it while we're here waiting on His visa. It's been a process of about a year and one month. We've been married for two and a half years, and we've known each other for now six, six or eight years, depending on how you count it. Um, so yeah, that's a little bit about me. I love to hike. I love to talk. I love to write everybody that knows me knows that I am a talker. So (laughs) that I think is why you guys asked me to be here, right?
0: (laughs) Perfect for a podcast. All our lovely talking friends, perfect for a podcast. Thank you so much for sharing those little glimpses into your world. Um, There are so many amazing people that we would love to have convers hard hard or meaningful conversations with on the podcast and you are like right up there on that list of just someone whose heart is so genuine and um beautiful and so it's awesome to have you here with us. We're thrilled and it actually feels really good to have a safe um calming face to look at on the screen while we talk about something that feels really vulnerable and that feels like we've wanted to talk about it for a while but it's just felt like very very much something we've wanted to avoid as well Um, so we're glad to have you here with us as we explore this together and um, just appreciate the graciousness of your personality and the way that you are so thoughtful about how you live and engage in the world we're we're glad to have you
2: You are way too (laughs) kind.
1: So, this episode, we're hoping for it to be just an invitation to our listeners to to think about how their culture has influenced the way they think, uh, the way they interact uh, with people of different races. This is not intended to be an attack or condemnation but just an invitation we've gone through this journey we, we're
0: going through we this we are journey. going through this journey
1: <laughs> and we just want we feel like this is an important conversation to have an important invitation to give to people that listen to think about where are the areas the blind spots that we have that change the way that we see people interact with people
0: the value we ascribe to people yeah i want to jump in and add to um this conversation is like all of our episodes for um any listener regardless of country you live in culture color whatever we are particularly focusing on communicating directly to uh white people people that identify as white and so anyone is more than welcome to listen, but I do want to give a bit of a trigger warning for uh, people of color that are listening. If this feels like, if you don't feel like you're in a space that you feel comfortable hearing about different specific thoughts or actions with with a racist basis, I would say um, this probably wouldn't be for you then because we are going to be specific and it may be quite painful. So I just want to throw that out there. Yeah, so let's get started. Uh, Luke and I are going to start sharing some of our story and then Mariah will jump in and um, share from her world. So this story as we kind of were contemplative thinking back on, you know, our adult life. So Luke and I are in our uh, mid 30s. So we were thinking about like our growing up years and then our adult life. It was just really interesting to Think back and think about how we've, our thoughts have evolved and where changes came in. We grew up in a pretty monolithic culture. Uh, We were in white towns, both of us separate towns, like 10 minutes from each other. And the towns were, I would say probably 98% white. Would you say that high? Um, And it was just something, race is not something that we talked about. We didn't talk about it in our families, in our uh, religious settings. We didn't talk about it at school much, I would say, apart from like Martin Luther King Day.
1: But even then, it was just a day. It wasn't really talked about.
0: Uh, How it was connected to America's like present day or history. It was just, yeah, it was just a day to talk about one man.
1: Yep. I mean, I had one, I can remember two people and all before high school that were in my class that were not white. And one of them was for a couple of years. The other one was for all the way up, but it was very little interaction with anybody of color.
0: And that clearly shaped our our understanding and our our experience. We were only, only around whiteness. And so whiteness shaped our worldview. When we use the word whiteness, this is like, literally hours and hours of sociological (laughs) definition that can be behind these topics. And that's not the purpose of this podcast, but those resources are completely available and we can even connect you with some of them after the podcast. Um, But what we're trying to communicate when we say whiteness um, in this, in this space is uh, the culture and the, the, the dominant culture of a particular place so in America whiteness is dominant it is the majority culture even if there's multiple different cultures within whiteness it it has a definite connection to each other Um, whether it's you know German background or Italian background or any type of European descent background whiteness has that has those connecting points and so when we talk about whiteness we're not talking about literally the color of our skin. We're talking about what comes with whiteness.
1: Culturally, ec- economically. Yes. Socially. Yes,
0: exactly. So we'll delve into that more, but just, just kind of, that's where we're coming from. And, and hopefully it will make more sense as we go along. So we moved to a diverse area when we were, we were early twenties, early and we are moving down to South Carolina for Luke to get, finish his bachelor's and get his master's and we were super excited because we thought wow this is the first time we're ever going to be around people that aren't just white Um, so this would be a great learning experience for us this will be really neat
1: like you were saying an exciting time to be around diversity Uh but we didn't understand that there was also racist feelings behind that as well
0: right and reasons why why things were so separated like we assumed we bought the story the narrative that America was no longer segregated, and how it did life or church or whatever. So when we went to South Carolina, I remember being so surprised. I was like, it is so clear that uh, white and black people in in this area are not really doing life together. Because we had just very naively believed that things were were fine, like segregation and separation were things of the past. And so it was very, very surprising to us when we got there. And I think that is when we began, honestly, to even start thinking about this, but the thoughts were so minimal and really didn't impact our life at all. So we didn't have to give it much. There
1: was curiosity at that point, Mm -hmm. but there was nothing transformational.
0: Yes, nothing transformational yet. Um, So a few of the things, I'm just gonna share a few little moments, like little snapshots in my story. To give some maybe language and ideas of how these implicit moments of uh, being communicated about race were in your story potentially. So I remember um, having a neighbor of color for the first time later on, and it was a a Black family. And I remember never hearing anything about them and never seeing family members reach out to them at all except for the fact that their yard wasn't as manicured as our yard and that filed in my mind and I wondered I thought it was interesting but I didn't see it as cruel and racist racist yeah I didn't see I didn't see that yet I also remember getting a doll when I was little, a little biracial baby doll. It was um, this really beautiful color and it was like a sleeping baby, you know, with their eyes closed in this really pretty gown. And I remember thinking she was just the most beautiful little baby doll in the world. I loved me some dolls. I had so many dolls. Um, And she was the only doll I had ever had that was not peachy white, like, She was the only one, Barbie doll, anything. Um, But I do remember when I got her, my grandma gave her to me, my very sweet grandma, Betty. And I remember it getting really awkward in the room as I opened this doll for my birthday. And I felt that as a kid and, you know, as kids, we can feel things, but we don't know what to attach to those feelings. We just feel it and i had no idea why but looking back i i recognize it was it was uncomfortable for people because they they didn't have any place to put that in their brain of having diversity in our toys that just wasn't a value and so that was a moment that i definitely remember i remember assuming that white was in the center I wouldn't have been able to articulate it like this, but that white was was in the middle and then everything else uh, that was non-white was a variation of normal. So I think a lot of kids feel this way with their experience being like the normative experience and everyone else's is different. But when you're a white kid in a white country, particularly, you really feel like everyone else is just... A bit less important than you are, <laughs> and of course this isn't our, this isn't taught to you if implicitly it's just, or explicitly yeah. it's just something that you think, and so as we were reflecting, we're like, yeah, we definitely thought that people um non white people were kind of like an afterthought, kind of like a lesser lesser priority lesser person even um and that is that's really hard to realize
1: yeah and i again don't remember being taught it explicitly but definitely feeling remember feeling even when we went down to south carolina but even before that just there's something lesser uh if you weren't white you there was this idea of less intelligent less religious less moral and and we didn't really talk about race, but when we did talk about race, it was n- always negative. I remember interactions with race conversations was a negative story, mm-hmm. negative news, or racist jokes.
0: Yeah. That's pretty much all you heard.
1: Yeah. And it was really, it was awful. As I've been going through this journey, I realized like joking about racism is one of the easiest and most heinous ways to introduce children to racism because it's benign it like quote unquote benign it's just a joke but it softens you to dehumanize people and i just remember the jokes that we would say were disgusting like make my skin crawl thinking back at it and i remember high school college age interacting with a few more people of color, and not realizing that they, when they were in a group, because even the college I went to had limited people of color, Um, so definitely a minority, so when they were in that white culture, they had to act white. I remember them even, like, using, joking about being black, being, experience of being black, and, like jumping in with that joking and everybody else jumping into that joking. I just cringe again, thinking about what that made him feel, Mm -hmm. whether he was even conscious of it or not, or just an adaptation to being in white culture. Right. But it was so dehumanizing. I remember in grad school, a black man, he was much older than me, probably mid forties. I was in my mid twenties. Oh my gosh. Intelligent. He had like three doctorates (laughs) Um, three or four mat- uh, mat- bachelors. He was a professor at another school.
0: You just love he just loved to learn.
1: Yeah. And I grew a relationship with him and just really respected him. I wish I was further along in my journey, could ask more questions with him. But w- I did ask questions because at that time we adopted our, young- our youngest who was biracial and I was asking questions. And he was helpful, but I think also hesitant. Yeah. But I remember one time talking in class, I don't remember how it came up, but we were talking about race. And he, every class, he would come into class with a three-piece suit, like all decked out suit, tie, jacket, vest, pants, shoes, the whole, whole thing. And never thought anything of it. And during one class, he's he mentioned, he's like, I dress like this because this way I don't get pulled over and I don't get looks when I come to class. He was. I've come to here to go to work out at the gym, and I've worn sweatpants, and people look at me and stare at me and question me and avoid me. Walk on the other side of the sidewalk. Um, he said, "If I drive like this, I get pulled over. I, I get a warning, and move move on. If I'm not let, dressed like this, I get a ticket." And he he said, and he explained this. And it was like, I've. It was the first time hearing personally yeah. like this type of story like I've heard Even no
0: framework for it yeah I,
1: I in the past I would hear stuff like that I'm like oh they're just exaggerating or I was taught oh that's the race card or they're being dramatic or and all mm-hmm. these things to completely minimize and disc Regards. disregard their experience but I like knew this guy I'm like and so it was as if I needed to, to validate it but it was like oh I know him so this must be true and it was sat differently. I remember feeling different in South Carolina when we drove by people of color. Um, I drove by a guy with like dreads and thinking something inside of me like just responded to it. Mm-hmm. Or I drive by him. He's like, and my, my thought was, oh, he he's a drug dealer. It was like, and later on, I was like, why did I think that? I have no idea who this guy is. And that started very early on realizing that there was a prejudice, there was a bias, it was racist to assume that because of the way he dressed, because of the color of his skin, because of his hair, because of where he was in the city, I automatically assumed that he was doing something illegal.
0: Thanks for sharing, babe. Um, I became a nurse and we had to do a lot of, not a lot, but we did some like culturally competent care modules and trainings. And I remember thinking as uh, a young nurse, and even in school, like, why are we doing this? Why does it matter? I'm just going to treat everyone the same. I don't need to accommodate for their religion or their culture. This is silly. Of course, I didn't say that, but I thought that because of, of my worldview. And now I look back and I'm like living in another country and realizing, wow, culture is huge, it's everything. Of course you have culturally competent care if you're a good provider, but I, I didn't understand. Um, we also, like Luke said, we started to begin the process of adoption um, when we were quite young and quite, quite naive. And we were welcomed into a group at our church, actually. We had a pretty diverse church and we were welcomed into a group that talked about race and we thought this could be helpful. And I just look back and think, oh, I'm so glad those people were so gracious because <laughs> I can't imagine the things we said. We just, we literally were at the very, very beginning of understanding um whiteness and ourselves and our story and their stories. And we just said some things that I'm sure were were very insensitive. Um we also had an agency, our adoption agency, that gave us a bunch of materials on on transracial adoption because we were. We were so open to adopting a child from another race and that's complicated in a whole other podcast topic. I took those resources and granted, we were quite busy at the time, but I took them and I set them aside and I said, those don't seem super important. I will read those later. And it just, it's not really, it's not about race. We'll just love our child and race won't affect affect them. And that was so naive and harmful and shameful. Um, and it's okay to say it was shameful. It was shameful. We were, we were bringing another kid that could have been a child of color into our home. And we weren't preparing ourselves, even in the slightest way of reading articles to prepare them for their, to parent them and care for them in the midst of their experience as a child uh, of a non-white child. I also remember thinking that black churches weren't full expressions of christianity that maybe their theology wasn't as good as white churches or they were so excited with their singing maybe it was just fake or blah 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 blah. and i
1: yeah i definitely got that
0: uh
1: teaching as well
0: yeah i i really hate that one more thing that i had thought of uh, my friend was really excited about blessing the internationals at you know south university of south carolina she had like a ministry with the international students who were away from their home and their family and alone in a new country so she would she would love them and help them and serve them and i remember she invited me to like a baby shower of she was asian i can't remember what country she was from this friend of hers and I went and it was really sweet. And I loved that I was able to see modeled that love and care for her. But I just remember in that whole season of of being with my friend and seeing her care for internationals, I didn't quite get it. And looking back now, I'm like, how didn't I get it? But I just, I was set up to not get it. I I, I thought like, what's what's the big deal? Like, what's the point? They're in America now, just like be with Americans. And I mean, <laughs> it really sounds It sounds so bizarre now, but I remember these thoughts very distinctly. Like these, these people are just visiting our country. Like, why are you spending your time ministering to them and caring for them? Like, isn't there quote, better ministries you could be a part of.
1: (sighs) And that I remember similar experiences, not necessarily quite like that, but this, the, I didn't think outside of America. Mm -hmm. Like you look at a map and there's countries out there, but I didn't think that about the people who live there, like there's actually people, (laughs) important people that live there that did life.
0: Yeah.
1: The only thing important was what happened in America. And it's just kind of that same idea of like international. Yeah, there's, there are people and sure they have needs, but like not that important. (laughs) It was just so ethnocentric and self-centered yeah that perspective so that's a little bit about our story and some of what we have processed mariah i don't know if you can resonate with any of that or but you have your own story i invite you to share a little bit what you would like to share
2: yeah first um just thank you guys for sharing that so openly i mean a lot of stuff that i was already aware of because we've talked about this a lot a lot of late night conversations uh but that's not those aren't like easy things to admit just even listening to you guys and thinking my my experience and story is quite different actually but but there were things that i did resonate with and it just produces this anxiety inside of you and you're just like wow i i can't believe I can't believe I thought that. I can't believe yeah. I heard that even, and and I didn't say anything. But I love I love where our stories intersect because um, I'm gonna I'm gonna start at the beginning. But I love how I think you guys will probably mention when you started, like really getting digging deeper into this issue of what it means to be white and and what races and how. Uh, us being white affects everything around us was really right around the same time that I was making that further step into into the transformation I guess you would say Um, because there's one thing to just be aware and um, have knowledge and it's another thing to really begin to transform the way that you think because it is a mind shift it is an attitude it's a worldview that gets changed but I am really thankful that I I had some sort of like I guess you could call it God's God's grace and goodness um, mercy on my life because he he kind of saved me from a from a disaster um, just because of the the interest that I had being like missions traveling like I see so many things that I was interested in that with a like a white savior complex or with a ethnocentric perspective i could have caused a lot of damage i think that the way that the culture itself kind of pushes white evangelical church how that was pushing youth and and christians such as myself into that type of mission work and I think there's a lot of good and there's a lot of not so good but again like i said at the beginning god's mercy was with me to save me from that so at the beginning my my first earliest memories as a child are of getting being told that we were adopting my sister from china and and seeing photos seeing the photo that they sent us knowing that my parents wanted to add another child to our family and that we were doing it through adoption. It was just the most normal, natural process for me. I was two when they initiated, maybe one and a half when they initiated the process. I know it was something they were interested in way before. Um, I was probably two when they really began talking about it and, and started. And then I was three turning four when they adopted my sister, actually on my birthday. And, uh she is from China. So I had just I, I grew up I should say I grew up in a very monolithic backwoods, hillbilly, redneck area. And I don't say any of those labels to be offensive. That's just truly where I grew up. They were good people, but going back now and and in my in my mind and my memories, I can see how so much of the interactions I could have had, or so many of the interactions I could have had with those um, people could have been very, very laced with white supremacy. However, I had, I didn't have that many interactions um, with neighbors because I didn't have neighbors besides my, my grandparents and my uncle. My, I just had family around. And as a child, I was just pure and innocent and um, I also had my parents that were very culturally open and they didn't, they didn't like now they are, they're so much more anti-racist than they were than they ever were. Like this past year, they've done a lot of work. They've always been baseline with it. Like they've already already, always known like, oh, like, no, that like black people aren't bad. Like they never categorize people into systems and put values on them. I do remember in family settings, though, um, having a lot of, I think, if I'm remembering correctly, there were comments about illegal immigrants and immigrants in general. And then actually more comments towards Indians, if anything. I don't know why or what the reason would. But I do remember those two things (coughs) which I ended up having to work on a little bit during my transformi- transformative experience in, in this process, because, I, because with every other system or issue or people group, there was not as much of a, of a complex process for me. So they adopted my sister. And then as soon as she was in our family, it was a big a big celebration. It was a big, everybody was excited about this Chinese child that was in our family. And I think there was definitely a lot of like, oh, look at this white family. He saved this white, uh, this Chinese child from an orphanage. Again, I didn't pick up on any of that. And later on, God's grace helps me avoid a white savior complex. Then we were always going to uh, these get-togethers with other um, girls. Really, there were no boys that were adopted from China, so the families would get together. They would um, wear traditional Chinese clothing, and we would celebrate Chinese New Year. They would do maybe once or or twice yearly get-togethers. So I was just like, oh, so it's really cool to be from a different uh, culture, to speak a different language. It was very celebrated. I also... I don't, it's questionable. <laughs> it's, it's kind of like a family dispute whether or not we have some Native American slash Indigenous background. But because my grandfather is so convinced that he does have Native American in him, um, I should just say for everybody that's listening to the podcast that my entire family, except for my sister, we are white with blue eyes and blondish brown hair. So we don't really look Native American at all. But I grew up thinking, okay, I'm like one sixteenth Native American and I knew my tribe that I was apparently from. We aren't sure whether we're from a tribe or not because when we did like per like a a family tree we are, but per DNA sampling, it doesn't show up. So that's why there's some question marks there. But the important thing is I grew up going to uh, get togethers with Native Americans in the local area and they did a lot of beading and they did a lot of crafting and, and so my grandfather was really involved in that and I was as well. So those were two cultures that were very different from white culture. It was fun, it was exciting for a young white girl and I just thought it was normal. I was homeschooled. I think that also probably saved me from the effects of my surrounding because I didn't have the public school kids. I, I, I didn't, I knew I didn't have any black friends or any other friends of color because I just knew it. I was like, why don't we have anybody around us that's brown or black or just tan even. And I was aware of the absence of that. But I, I wasn't, I didn't, like, I didn't have, I wasn't in a school where there was maybe one or two students of color, and then all these white kids, and then they were segregated. So I didn't see that. So my mind didn't have to experience that. And I didn't think, oh, that's normal. I read a lot of history. My mom taught me um, a lot of history. I loved, I loved reading about awful things because it, I have a lot of, empathy and for some reason, difficult situations like the Holocaust, um, uh, slave trade, even back in Egypt, like with the the slave situation there and Egyptian history was always very, very fascinating to me. So I would say that books, books can be whitewashed, but books really did save me at the end of the day because my interest was pure and I was just excited to learn about how people did things differently. Moving like forward in life, I was around the age of 10 or 11. And I remember being like, wow, I am so boring because everybody that is cool and exciting, well, my sister is cool and exciting and she's different and she's not she doesn't look like me. So I wanna look different. I was always, always, always attracted to black people. And I, I, it was, I wouldn't say like in a a sexual way at all. I was just fascinated with, even though I did end up marrying uh, my husband who is black, but that, that, that is besides the point, we'll get there later, but I would literally open up magazines from clothing stores and I would go into the section where they would have the, probably the trophy child of color, like, okay, here's our multiracial, here's our Here's our black kid. And I would look at them and I was like, wow, they are, they're so beautiful. And they're, they're so cool. And I remember telling my mom, I had very long hair. And I remember telling my mom, I want to get braids in my hair. I want to have my hair done so I can look like a black girl. And I, I don't know, like, again, it things like that now, like, I don't, I've wondered, like, is that an okay thing to do for like a white woman to, well, oh, what's the word? appropriate black culture and I've gotten mixed responses from different friends of mine, like uh, friends of color and then the internet as well. Like I've looked it up and I've asked people that I know that I feel comfortable talking with about, without it being like, Oh, am I allowed to do this? Cause I, I know that's like, I try not to make them feel like they need to educate me, but I've gotten mixed responses about that. But in that, in that stage of my life, it was just a very like, I want to be different. Then I remember meeting my first friend of color. We were at a wedding and she was adopted. She was around my age and they were moving into the area. And so I was gonna have a neighbor. She was gonna be about 10 months away, but she counted as a neighbor still. And we were gonna do play dates. And I was so excited. I could hardly sleep that night. I said, mom, I finally have a friend. And I, I think I probably said, I have a black friend, even though she was biracial. She uh, she is mixed, I think, like Puerto Rican and African-American. Anyway, I was super thrilled about that. And she was, oh, is a great friend. And I, but I don't know if I, I didn't really get much out of that. Besides the fact that she was different because she was adopted into a white family. And so I didn't have much experience with a different culture at that point. This is where... My life gets busy. Uh, at the age of 14, I ended up starting a long-distance accelerated learning bachelor's program. I wanted to travel and be a, like a video journalist, and I ended up going to Honduras with a local mission, like church-based group, uh, from people that some people that I knew, and we just were building an orphanage. Now I. We'll save all my thoughts on like short-term missions trips for another day. <laughs> but it was my first experience going to a, a different culture. I went there on my own. I did have some people assigned to me as guardians, but I was 14 and I was traveling. I was so excited about it. I was sick for most of my time there. I was surrounded by the Spanish language. I do remember, actually, it's so ironic. I am bilingual. I speak Spanish. I love Spanish, I love Spanish culture. And I do remember Dora the Explorer being kind of despised in my house. I think it was my brother's fault, but it was, it was such that it was like, oh, people that speak Spanish are weird or there just wasn't like, it was like, oh, you're funny. And so Dora the Explorer was not acceptable. And so Spanish wasn't acceptable either. And so I wanted to learn French I wanted to learn German, but I didn't want to learn Spanish. And then lo and behold, I was in Honduras and I didn't really know much Spanish. I continued with my bachelor's degree. I ended up graduating at the age of 17. I wanted to continue traveling at the age of 16. I did another trip. I came to the Dominican Republic this time. I was at that point. Um, I don't, if you aren't familiar with what Honduras is like, they are, pretty much, like I would say, tan skin with black straight hair. And then I came to the Dominican Republic and it's a very, very diverse country because it's right next to Haiti. It's, they share the same island. And so you have Haitians, you have Haitian-Dominicans, Domin- Haitian and then you have Dominicans who would consider themselves like pure and white. It's, there's a lot of racism in this country. It was the first time I was surrounded by so many people of color. And I loved it. it. It didn't seem strange to me. I didn't. I I made friends. I I did meet my husband at that point. But again, I don't remember. I There's like a photo where he's there, but we don't remember meeting. So that's why I say six to eight years, because technically we didn't really meet. Um, I, at that point, was really interested. I think I began exploring more, like, what does it mean to be Black? I think there was... There were like news stories coming out. I think that I probably had read of shootings, and I just I I can't I can't explain it. I always had this sense of the wrongdoing. I am very much like a I I need justice. I need things to be right and wrong, and or I need things to be right. And I know what's wrong. I should say, and I just knew in the core of myself that it was wrong to treat other human beings that way. And I just was always, I kind of, this is kind of, my mom definitely didn't like this because she's a a mom. And of course she's going to want her daughter to be as safe as possible. But I would literally go out of my way to try and interact with black adult men. And in the sense of like, if they were, if they were, and not in like a very, direct way, but if they were walking down the sidewalk, I would walk right by them, like on the same, I would like brush shoulders with them. I was like, I, I just didn't want them to think that I was, even if I needed to cross the sidewalk, I wouldn't because I was just so aware that they might experience that from people out of fear. And I didn't fear anything. I actually fear a white man more than I fear a black man. And it's always been that way. I, I was. Going to a youth group across town. This was before I could drive. I was very loyal to my bike, and so I was biking. It was nighttime, uh, and just all of a sudden, I was going through this neighborhood in, you know, South Corning, and I felt the sense that someone was behind me. And you know, I looked behind my my shoulder, and there's another biker coming up, up beside me, and and it was. I, I think I had seen him before. For some reason, I wasn't alarmed. It was this black male, probably in his 40s, on his bike. And he biked me almost all the way home. His name was Ben. We chatted. He was like, where are, you, where are you headed from? And I said, well, I was just at church. And he was like, oh, that's great. And And I just had such a great experience. I was like, wow, like people are so, humanity is amazing. Again, I don't recommend talking to strangers because i there are strangers that aren't safe but i was just like you know what i'm just going to give him the benefit of the doubt you know whether he's you know black white or whatever i'm just going to be okay because there really wasn't any other option at that point either but i just i always had that sense of like i wanted to write the wrong of everything i had read historically and everything i was seeing in current events now, I, I would, I remember thinking, oh, I wish I was born during like slave time, like when back when people owned slaves, and then I would set them free, or I would treat them really well. And I would be like the best slave master. And it was just like, that I think is where, where some of the white saviorism complex comes in, is in an earnest desire, but it, 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 what's the word I'm looking it like occludes the fact and it it disrespects the capability of people of color to actually overcome their circumstances when they have the correct resources to do it Uh, they don't always need a white person to step in more often they need a white person white people to step out and step back out of out of what they're trying to do so that was and then i was um I was reflecting on it and I was thinking, you know, what really kind of saved me from heading that direction was meeting you guys because it was eight, I was 18, I think, when you guys were starting your, like, when you, were, when you were, like, wow, you watched, like, a documentary, I think, and you talked to me about it in church. Was that, was wow. that, do you
0: I mean think that I don't remember. Oh, was it, was it 13th? Maybe I think it was. Oh, wow. I don't remember that conversation. I just know we've had so many, but that's so interesting that that's, well, and
2: it was, it, it collided with me. Now I, at 18, I had met and I started dating my husband and it's unfortunate that the majority of white people that that want to be, that become anti-racist do so because they have a connection with a person of color. And I think, you know what I mean by that? Like we should, white people should do it just because they do it, not because it's someone that they love. And I, I admit that I was always, always interested, but I wasn't invested until it really was hitting home for me because now my, boyfriend is black and I was amazed by the things that I was hearing I even got to the point where I was like when I sh- I had a picture of him on my phone screen save or whatever and in school I went to a community college where I studied my the same school where you went Lauren to become an RN and I would I remember like tapping it and his photo would come up and I, and, and I remember seeing a girl look at it and I just looked at her face and I was like, she just looked at him and then looked at me and, and I could see the thought in her head, which was, oh, her boyfriend's Black. And oh, she likes Black men. And suddenly I was a different person for her too. It was like, oh, you're a, a white person that likes Black people. And it was just like, whoa. I had one of my best friends in nursing school told me that her husband doesn't agree with interracial, interracial relationships when he's drunk and and I was like okay so when he's drunk he doesn't agree with it or when he's always himself he doesn't agree with it and when he's drunk he just feels like he can say it and she was just like well but but I don't think that and I was like okay and then I was unfortunately babysitting her children, her three boys, who I pray for every now and then, because I think it's really, it's really tough. Just seeing children being raised in, in that cycle repeating environment. And the youngest, no, sorry, not the youngest, the middle child was four. And I was having a really hard time babysitting. They were, they were difficult to handle. And so I called my boyfriend, my husband to be like, Hey, do you guys want to talk to someone on video camera? And just like, I just, I just needed a, a moment to get some help. And I, I'm sorry, this is like a really hard thing to talk about, but I, I showed them, they didn't really calm down. And then it was, it was also like bedtime too. And. The, the middle child comes out, which actually was my, I had like a favorite and he was my favorite and he was like almost well behaved. So that's probably why. And he comes out and he has this smile on his face, like a, like a, a smirk. And he said, he, he called my boyfriend, my husband, the N word. And, and he, he was like, he's a, and I, I started shaking so badly. I I hung up the phone. And I should mention this meant nothing to my husband because in Dominican culture, in the culture that he's in, they use the N word a lot. And he didn't actually even know really what it meant and what it referred to until I told him about it and um, at, at a later time. But it meant a lot to me and because the child knew what it meant. And the child was four years old and knew that that was going to be offensive or knew that seeing that he didn't even say, oh, he's black, you know, like that would have been a lot better and like, yeah, he's black and, and, you know, and I'm white and that's awesome. Uh, He just, he, he knew it was a, it was a button and it was, he wanted to push it. And I I I sat to, I sent him into his room and I sat down at the dinner table and I just shook and I was I'd never felt angry towards a child before. I love children and I was just I was fuming. I I felt I felt a lot of things in that moment. And then I entered back into uh, the room and I just sat down and I was like, listen, you know, what you said isn't right and I, I had no idea how to handle it because I didn't want to make a big deal about it but I also did like kids are compl- complicated and and when you react they they like it and and so I just I tried my best but they were very difficult again children that were very out of hand and he was just like all over he didn't want to hear anything that I had to say and I ended up mentioning it to the mother like probably a week later and um, she was like, really sorry. She was like, I'm so sorry. You heard that. And then she said, well, my husband occasionally says that when he's watching football and I was just like, okay, so this is, this is now from here on out, this is kind of how I determine my friendships. Are you going to be okay with this? And are you going to be safe for me? And my, my husband, my boyfriend at that time, and you know, my eyes were opened and between the things that you guys had gotten me involved in the news that was happening. And I didn't know what to say. Sometimes I still don't know what to say. Sometimes I still feel speechless about, or like, I don't know what to do, but I've have made a lot of progress it's been not like a an easy journey and and it's been but it hasn't been like it also hasn't been a bad one you know it's been the best one in in a weird way it's not like something enjoyable necessarily but it i wouldn't trade going back to where i was
0: i wouldn't trade where i am for anything We resonate so deeply with, with what you just said. Like, it's so hard to say it's not good because having to come up out of something so dark and so evil that you were passively and actively a part of that's not like good, (laughs) but it is so, so powerful and freeing. And Luke and I say that all the time, like this road has been so rocky and had a lot of painful parts of it. But we would never trade out going back to that place of ignorance, of ignorance and self, self-centeredness, really, on a like global level. So I just, I so appreciate Whew, that whole story. I was captivated. You're, I, I actually didn't know a lot of those parts of your story. And I just, I was grinning ear to ear thinking of the brilliance of the little girl you were of just wanting to love. People and it, it's so, it reminds me of Tessa actually. Like when you were talking, I just pictured Tessa like picking out her book selection and just devouring them and hearing people's stories and treasuring people and wanting to be able to be loved and receive love from all people. It, it's so, so beautiful. I, when you were talking, I was thinking many things, but one thing that popped up towards the end was, How do you feel now? What are your thoughts towards your having a daughter who's biracial and living in America? Hopefully someday soon when you when Don's Visa's stuff goes through. How where are you at with that? After listening to your
2: most recent episode, I don't want to come to America. Oh I yeah, I don't want to go <laughs> tricky question you caught me in my in my weak spot I have when I even before I was pregnant I knew what was coming and I know it's not going to be easy in some ways though as long as we pick where we are located wisely in the states it will be better for her to be there because here she is She's, she's not actively hearing because she doesn't understand it yet, but I am hearing all these comments that make me cringe about, you know, oh, she looks so much like her mom. That's good. And, and, and for people that don't know what she looks like, she's very much a blend of both of us. And, but obviously her skin is lighter and, and she has dark curly hair and, and her, she, her curls are wider. They aren't very tight. And and they just all think it's so wonderful. Uh, other comments that I've heard are, um, don't let her go in the sun, she'll get dark. Or I've heard, you know, babies don't like being held by every single person, especially if they don't know them. Once I had two girls from the neighborhood come and visit and they wanted to grab her and, and she didn't want to and she knows how to say no. And I honor when she wants to say no and I love that she likes to say no and and, and it's assertive that way. But the one friend did get to hold her. And then the other friend, Catalea, said, no, I don't want to go to that friend, whatever. And, um, and the friend that was holding her said, oh, she doesn't, she doesn't want to go to you because you're too Black. It's just a very, like the, the culture here is so, you know, so, so permeated with, with racism. So in one sense, you know, there's the benefit of her growing up around people of color and people, people with different culture and Spanish and all of that. But then there's all those comments and, and when they, when they say, oh, like she's so beautiful and make, make comments that with my brain, the connections that I'm seeing that she'll probably make is that she's more beautiful than other darker skinned girls. And I don't want her to ever have to hear that like growing up, you know? I don't want that to be something that she has to handle and something that I have to handle because as you guys mentioned, there's often like the beautification, they
0: and they, I I don't even wanna try to say the word because it's so hard, Fetishizing, we can just say fetishizing.
2: Fetishizing, just the, the beauty of Nick's kids. I don't believe, like the, the personality that she has, the pure humble spirit that she has, just the way that I'm seeing her grow up, I'm confident she's not going to have that. Like, I just don't want her to be like, oh yeah, I'm so much better than all of you because then she'll be thrown into circles where she's not gonna be considered better. And so it's, it's so complex. Pray for me. Um, (laughs) I I think that we're going to have to really consider where we move. I don't preferably I'd love to stay in the area where my family is located, but that is a very, very monolithic white area and it's saturated with people that would not be beneficial to our family. So we'll probably have to uproot because of that reason, or not uproot, but like I'll
0: probably have to uproot and leave areas that I know yeah. Um, yeah. because of that. It's sad that you're like kind of having to choose. I know the, the decision is much more complicated than just this, but like basically colorism, the colorism mm-hmm. that she would be a part of uh, for potentially her her better in the dr but not better because that's an awful way to live thinking that you're better because you're lighter and your darker friends are worse off value wise then Mm -hmm. so the colorism issue in the dominican and then in the states just straight up you're less than because you're not white and yes we may may think you're super cute and we may put you on all our promotional material and we may you know, rave about your hair, but when it comes down to it, you're not a white woman. And that means that you're on a certain place in the hierarchy of how white, whiteness works in America.
1: It's like on the last podcast, Keisha was saying, I was on all those things. She got a seat at the table, yes. but still no voice.
0: Yep. It's like an inroad, but it doesn't actually give you
1: any power or-, or voice in those environments
0: this awful decision that you have to make like which is the worst scenario for a child's development it's i see the tension of that and i'm so sorry you guys have just a complicated uh world to navigate being a multiracial family and all that that brings
1: but that's where white supremacy is so important it's not just kkk white supremacy it's the idea of the lighter the colorism, the lighter skin you are, it's not just in America. America and Europe have influenced the whole world. Truly. And in the lighter skin you are, the more value and respect you have and more even intelligence you have is how it's seen. And
0: I think this would be a perfect time, if you don't mind me jumping in, to give kind of the definition. It's not really a definition. It's just a working list of what this word is so loaded white supremacy like instantly the images people have are burning crosses and like skinheads the rallies that used to happen and still sometimes do in the states but white supremacy is is so much more subtle than that the vast majority of the time so who is seen as less guilty more guilty more influential in a society more of the expert, whose perspective is given more weight, who's given the benefit of the doubt, who's seen as more benevolent, more generous, more safe. These are like qualities and values that you can look at in any given society. And you can see, if you know the culture well enough, who is given those things and who is not. And that's, that's a better way for us to look and evaluate what does whiteness really affect? Because um, how we grew up and how we're actively working against that with our kids is, is not having it be the white people who are always assumed less guilty. You know, the white guy who ends up uh, raping, you know, someone and gets like a three months in probation versus the same crime that happens within a different race and gets five to ten years. Like these things happen in in all the systems that make up a society because of the the behind the scenes belief of who's less guilty and more guilty, who's more of an expert, who's more influential, whose perspective basically is better.
1: Um, So trying to also have our kids learn from people that aren't just white, Uh, read books of people that are people of color, uh, movies. are diverse
0: friendships that are diverse and and not just like (laughs) the we shouldn't just be learning black history is just slavery like that is one terrible part of black history and there's
1: is the entirety of my black history education right like six years ago we didn't learn
0: about the inventors and the singers and the artists and all of the beautiful things that have come from the black community because it was just like so focused on um, the slavery, which in your mind as a kid gives you this idea of, gosh, something must have been wrong with them, that they that they had such a, like, so many people against them. I know we're saying it was wrong, but maybe they are just, maybe something's just wrong. That's such a confusing message to a kid um, who only is learning about the abuse of a people group. That's all they know about a people group is abuse and, and torment.
1: That's a little perspective a a definition to think about and rethink of when you're interacting with people of color or white people who do you give beneficial it out because culturally through our story and as we've explored and been curious about american culture the white person is given the benefit of the doubt almost always you can you find exceptions but even if you're finding that exception I'd encourage you to look at that. why did you find that exception? because even being wanting to fight for a, an exception is white supremacy because that's another thing that I've explored in my own heart there's that bias of wanting to find where that's wrong in order to prove i don't have to change or seeing other people do the same thing. And Can
0: give an example to put some
1: uh Just the idea of I'm not racist because I have a black child or a black grandson or a biracial son or a biracial daughter or or a niece or a nephew. Or
0: I date black people. I I date Asian people. I have friends
1: at work that are black. Like those are you're trying to find an exception to prove that there isn't something wrong, or they prove that culture hasn't influenced you. Like as you start breaking down culture, like racism and prejudice and the evilness didn't start with slave trade it's gone on before that but also didn't end when slavery ended like as you take away the whitewashed history and look at how intentional white culture has done to demonize people of color but also to subdue take away and ensure failure mm. of people of color it's
0: or assimilate
1: yeah you have an option of assimilating and becoming more acceptable or you will pay um, and it's and it goes through like musicians who didn't get get uh, acknowledged for their their music their songs inventors who didn't get acknowledged for their inventions mathematicians who didn't get identified for their ability for formulas
0: as gruesome as full thriving cities with incredible economy being being
1: burned and to the ground and because and and ended
0: they couldn't see black people flourishing like that yeah like this is our history this is our story as america and just like germans teach their their history we had german neighbors and they told us about just the soberness that they take towards the holocaust and how they have so many memorials um for the victims and how they teach it and how they have such a Contrite posture towards it. it was just like really we we don't see that so much on a large scale in our culture with our story
1: yeah a lot of times in America we say that that happened, and that's bad, and we've moved from that. Germany said, yes that happened, it's bad, and we grieve it, and we teach it, and we did do this, and we have to grieve it so we don't do it again, like there's awareness that there's that they could do something like that again, if they're not careful, we need to have that same curiosity and openness to not just say that was back then, or that was those people that's not in me, Mm -hmm. but that was a culture that did that. And we are part of that culture and culture is the water we swim in. We don't know how it's affected us until we explore the possibility and uncover the ways it has influenced us because it's not did it or like if it it's how it has influenced us
0: so mariah a question for you as we begin to wrap up why do you think there's so much resistance in white people or why can there be so much resistance in white people and examining what it is to be white like luke was just talking about like looking pulling back the veil and just beginning to explore this honestly authentically where do you think that resistance comes from in your experience
2: really loaded question i love what you define as white supremacy because i think that there's a lot of resistance because people think that to admit or or to explore and to and to look into what it means to be white, to wh- what it means to be, to have white like, supremacy, is because they they have these different definitions. And you mentioned, you know, it, it doesn't mean that you're burning a cross. It doesn't mean that you're out lynching people of color. That's a very, very, very far out group that most people don't fall into. You and I and Luke, we didn't fall into that category. But we still had the experience of white supremacy or, or however you want to word it. Like we still had white privilege. We still had the, that culture we were swimming in that we weren't aware of. And we didn't we weren't aware of the harm either. So I believe there's also resistance because I'll preface this. Exploring and engaging white culture whiteness and what it means to be white is a process that will cause you to lose some things but you'll gain a lot of other things and so i think that there's a fear of loss i actually heard this quote on a podcast completely unrelated to race it was about social media but it was about um it was by upton sinclair And it is very difficult to make a man understand something when his salary depends on him not understanding it. And I was like, wow, that kind of applies to this as well because it's very hard for a white person to understand something when their comfort and their privilege depends on them not understanding it. Here's the point though, we actually don't lose our privilege ever. We're always going to be white, we're always going to have privilege, at least in my opinion. You, I can't ever get rid of my privilege because everybody will see me with it. People that see me through that lens, that is. And the choice is are you abusing of your privilege or are you using it in an appropriate, sensitive, anti racist way? Are you aware of it? So I think that there's a lot of fear like, oh, well. Then I'm going to have to say that I'm a bad person, that I'm a slave owner, and I would never do that, that I'm a racist, and people really don't like being called racist. And they just think that it's going to be admitting that they're, they're they're filled with hate. And you guys were not filled with hate. You were kind of filled with just, like, bubbles so of ignorance and, and you know
0: stupidity like a lot of of bubbles of (laughs) ignorance and stupidity that's hilarious
1: and just culture yes And,
2: and it's not something that gets changed overnight like yes it's something that is a process and I think back in um last year 2020 there were so many people that just wanted to be like I'm completely against what's going on and I love People of color, and I'm gonna share this and that and this and that. But once they saw how convoluted it became, how political it became, they were like, "Oh well, to to be on the side of of, of black people, or to be a, um, to be
1: oh, an ally, yeah,
2: to to advocate and to be a peacemaker for them. I'm now I'm gonna to have to be a liberal." And I'm going to have to be in agreement with all of these things. And I think that was the, probably the most harmful thing that could have happened is that there was suddenly there's this like, oh, if you are for black lives, then you're against all of this and you're for all of that. And it's not like that. And I think people are hesitant and resistant to it because they think that suddenly we'll have to have a bunch of other beliefs as well that are completely unrelated to race though some of them aren't there is a loss of though there but i also keep in mind there are families where it's so high strung and the stakes are so high that to explore race would mean having a very very uncomfortable household And so I think that there's, there are a lot of, there's a lot of um, risk and a lot of loss involved in certain aspects. But as I mentioned before, as you mentioned before, we wouldn't trade what we've gained for the losses that we've had because it's so freeing. And, and even though it's a heavy weight to bear, I can't live knowing that I I wouldn't be able to live with myself just being like a carefree you know, happy person knowing that there's a, a very
0: large group of people suffering because of people that look like me. Yeah, that makes sense. it definitely does. And I think you bring up so many good points when Luke and I get really grieved and heartbroken and angry, even at the things we've seen happen because of this, the, people's discomfort with this conversation and people's resistance to it. We remember that the things we have gone through and the losses we've had absolutely pale in comparison to the losses of our brothers and sisters of color, you know, particularly speaking in America, but I'm sure this that can, you know, go beyond but just the, the personal, pe- the people we even know personally and their, what their lives look like living in the tension of a culture that values whiteness above all else. It's just not even a comparison. And so just to honor them and their story and their journeys, it's like, like you said, how could we not? How could we not speak up when we need to speak up or say that's not right, or advocate for those that may need advocacy, or educate ourselves with the amazing amounts of books and resources available written by people of color and supporting their work. It's just, it's like nothing. It's like a drop in the bucket comparatively. So that is something that actually grounds us a lot in this journey that has been quite riddled with
1: pain pain and loss
0: yeah yeah definitely
1: there was a lot that you said that we could go into um i think one of the things that stood out is the nuance that needs to be had when being in this conversation like you said it's not all or all over here or all over there it's when we're talking about racism we're talking about learning how to love people Acknowledge their pain, value their experience, and live life with them. Join them. Look at what's happening and and validate it, and say that's wrong. Saying that doesn't mean you're against all of this. Like we can go into what all that means, but we don't have time. But mm-hmm. but people are listening; they know what that means because. <laughs> They've it's seen co- it
0: all hijacked.
1: Yep. And they, they, see, they feel it coming up in their minds of, oh, if I, but if I say this, then I have to be against this. Or I have to be for this. And that doesn't mean that. Like being against racism is being against racism. It's being, it's acknowledging white privilege. And I see so many stupid responses of white privilege. Like, oh, white privilege? I don't have white privilege. I work 40, 50 hours a week. It's like, or I went to college I don't have white privilege. I've worked hard for this. That, that's not what white privilege is.
0: White privilege means that your color didn't get in a, w- get in the way of you.
1: Accomplishing, accomplishing
0: all that you have.
1: And white privilege m- also means you cannot engage in this conversation. Mm-hmm. Like to have white privilege means I don't have to talk about this. White privilege means I don't have to acknowledge racism. Acknowledging it or just not acknowledging it doesn't mean it doesn't ha- it doesn't exist. It just means you don't have to accept it. And that is white privilege. Because as you look around, racism is happening whether you want to acknowledge it or not. White privilege is the freedom to not have to acknowledge it, to not have to live with it, to not have to accept the losses of those people or, or receive those losses yourself. White privilege is, like you are saying, your color of your skin not getting in a way of accomplishing something not once did that when I filled out an application for a job did I think that I wasn't going to get a job when I went to college I never once thought can I afford this am I going to get accepted there hasn't been a thought of not getting accepted to one thing in my entire life that is white privilege it is a given that I'm going to Get a college education, I'm going to get a job, I'm going to have, I'm gonna have a house, I'm gonna buy a car, I'm going to do what I want to do, and I'm gonna accomplish what I want to accomplish. That's just a given. That's white privilege. White privilege is the fact that I live in Thailand. I'm able to do whatever I want to do. Have I worked hard for it? Yes, but my white skin has not gotten in the way of that. White privilege is entering into an environment and not thinking once about being white.
0: Or checking the room to see if there's someone else that matches your skin color.
1: Yes. Like I, I once heard somebody say, um, being white, your primary identity is like being a white man. Your primary identity is being a man, being a black man. Your primary identity is being black. That is white privilege. When a black man enters a room, he's, he's black. And then all of the things that come with that connotation of being black.
0: For those people. For those
1: people are now applied to that person. And all the things that are connected to being a white or being a male who is white is applied to me and given to me and assumed on me. That's white privilege.
2: I'll I'll just add in like internationally and some of these do like overlap. So like white privilege is being able to travel without, without needing to like go through a visa process necessarily, like you might need a visa, but you will get it just to visit or, but we go to, you can go to a lot of countries without getting a visa. Whereas in here, and that's like American privilege, which any, any person that's American that has, can do that. But more white people will, are able to travel than people of color. And so like in the Dominican Republic, my privilege is that I travel back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And my husband has never once been able to leave. And, and the process for him married to me uh, and, and has been grueling and expensive. And, and he otherwise wouldn't be able to travel, like eventually, you know, Lord willing, we will travel, but he doesn't have that privilege and also uh, white privilege is in another country is like, I can, I can speak both languages, of course, but I can walk into a place or communicate with someone if I'm renting an, a BNB or whatever in English and the treatment is different. As soon as I do that, it is him it is us entering a, a gated area and the purse the security guard like having him lower the window and look at him and then look at me and as soon as he sees me let us in and because and we've known it's because of me because he'll look at him and he'll always see him first and he'll be like what are you doing and then I'll I'll like per I'll like not purposely but I'll like also pop out my head to look and then at that point he sees me and he's like oh no you're fine go ahead. So like that's that's white privilege on an international basis. And it's also being able to walk into a a store and you're going to find your culture is catered to and your hair is catered to and your food choices are catered to. That's it, it's a lot it's not just that you it's not like you don't have to work hard it's it's endless endless if you yes. don't
1: know you have white privilege that is white privilege mm-hmm. it's it's what you are able to is the life you're able to live in comfort so this episode probably could go on for a couple more hours <laughs> it's
0: gotten really long it's
1: gotten long
0: but so good. There's so much more to say, but we should wrap it up. I'm just wondering, Mariah, if you have any last thoughts that you could encourage other white listeners who are somewhere on this journey of uncovering whiteness for them and growing to a healthier place with with this. Any encouragement that you can give them when they, if they're considering, like, do I want to go farther? Maybe feeling hesitant, feeling unsure. Any words of encouragement that you could offer?
2: So, um, first I would say, don't be um, scared. Don't be afraid because there's a lot of people that avoid it because they're afraid they're going to do the wrong thing, say the wrong thing. They're going to mess up. We've all messed up. You shouldn't mess up on purpose and, and when you do mess up, you need to be humble and, and even if you don't understand what happened you need to just be like okay i'm just going to i'm i'm just going to listen i would say listen as be, be, like in language teaching you focus on input first before you even attempt output so the student listens and hears the language and, and reads it and sees it for a long time before they're actually able to produce it and that's what you need to do when you're in this situation as well. You don't even try You're going to sound ridiculous. Don't even try to produce. You're going to make a lot of mistakes. Try and listen, read, hear, watch, observe, and just be willing to question what you're thinking, which is, it, it, it gets a little, you can kind of go a little crazy. My, my best friend and I went a little crazy. We're like... It, it, am I, am I even thinking correctly? It, it, you just feel so trapped sometimes in your worldview, but don't let that, that that's not the point. The point is that it's a daily process just because six years ago I started. Doesn't mean that I stopped six years ago. It means today I'm still working on it. Be willing to be humble. And when you feel that sense of like, this isn't, this is offensive, that's probably when you need to really just sit down and listen more. (laughs) When you feel offended is when you, you probably can just step away and take a few days and question that sense and that feeling. Um, those are all things that I've experienced. And that's coming from someone that really had a great upbringing culturally and uh, just my worldview being developed that way. So it's not easy and I would, but I would say it's completely worth it. So do it because it's, it's not just about current events. It's, it's about being human and it's about loving others and loving um, others the way that God commands us to.
0: Uh, mic drop the mic is dropping <laughs> we don't have a sound for that but yes you couldn't have said it any better thank you so much for that invitation and i'll just remind all the listeners that the last three episodes are a great place to start if you just got jumped into this whiteness episode and you you would love to hear more um, we have an episode with african-american friends asian-american friends and then uh, multiracial friends and they're really really gracious to share their stories with us. So please check those out Um, and be
1: respectful to those stories hold them respectfully as they're taking, they're giving a gift and taking a rest.
0: Huge sacrifice for sure. So thank you so much for listening. Thank you for joining us, Mariah. It's been great. We're going to let you go to bed now and we're going to start the rest of our day. So we'll see you all next time on Phil to Flourish. So If you made it through the entire episode, congratulations. That was a lot, and I just applaud you for really taking time to learn more about what it means to be white. We wanted to add in a few thoughts um, that we have as white people sometimes, and just kind of expose these types of thoughts for um, what they are, that they are from, um, they're not from a good place for people. And hopefully you can see through them as I share them. So I will just share through a list of things and you can just use this time as a time of reflection. If you have said these things yourself or have heard people say these things and how they are not, um, they're not okay. So I have a black friend. I had a black friend in high school. So um, that means I'm not racist or I have a black friend now at work. And I have family members that may be black or brown or Asian. They are, uh, you know, in my family. So that means there's no way I could be racist if they are in my family. I have given a lot of money to orphanages in different parts of the world that you're saying that I am racist towards, but I give money to them. So that means that I am not capable of racism against them. I'm so glad that no one I know is racist or thinks like this. You're so attractive for a put-in-the-race person. Um, I don't see color. I'm colorblind. I love the NFL and the NBA. I love to watch um, people of color entertain me. Or their music. People make too much of a deal, of a big deal about race. Not realizing that um, how much race changes things, that whiteness is not actually the standard or the normal and everything else is around it. Not realizing that and thinking that people talking about race is them reading into things and making something about race when it's not the race card I don't know why anyone would ever learn a second language. People should just speak English or people in America, why aren't they speaking English? People getting really upset by that when they hear another language in America. Are your parents okay with you dating a black guy is something people have heard before. And I am the least racist person that I know. Equity is not proximity to people of color, interest in, charity towards, curiosity of, or even kindness to. Equity is equity. And as we begin to uh, break down the whiteness in our minds and cultures and see it more for what it really is, the goal should be um, equality and justice for all people not um, being nice to people or even having pity. Those are not what help our brothers and sisters of color have a more equitable uh, life and country to live in. Another thing that we wanted to share is something that's really common. Um, A lot of people will kind of, quote, adopt a person of color as their friend if they align with them enough and so we see this happen a lot they will be totally cool with the person of color in their life as long as the person of color doesn't challenge their presuppositions or perspectives Um, as you can see this is not this is, this is having still a prejudiced view, and this comes from a place of supremacy that says my views are right, they don't need any changing, and I will adopt you into my circle if you uh, show my views, if you kind of wear my views, if you assimilate into my my world view, then I, then I will deem you good, and I will then treat you well. So those are some additional thoughts that we've had as we have um, gotten ready to publish this. Wanted to share those with you. Again, thank you so much for listening to this series. Go ahead and take a listen back if you haven't heard the other ones. And we look forward to creating more content like this in the future.
1: While it is a joy to provide our podcast content as a source of life enrichment, Please note that information shared is not intended to replace or contradict any professional therapy or medical advice.